Welcome to another episode of the People Over Perks podcast by Leapsum. In each episode, we interview an HR or people operations leader about how they're building a high-performance culture in their company. On today's show, we have Michael Nicodemus, Director of People Growth and Development at Vinted. We speak to Michael about how he's been implementing people growth and impact cycles, Vinted's approach to learning, servant leadership, and much more. Enjoy the show. Okay, Michael, thanks for joining us today on the uh, the People Over Perks podcast. Really excited to uh, to have you join us today. Awesome. I'm happy to be here, and, and thanks for the invite, Andy. I know it's been a long time in the making, right? It, it, it has been a long time in the making, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we've got some uh, really interesting topics lined up for day, today. So um, yeah, really looking forward to, uh, to diving into um, you, your career history, um, a bit about uh, you know, all of the things that you're working on at Vinted. Um, and so to kick off, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from you about your career history so far. Um, you, you've taken a pretty uh, interesting path and I understand a, uh, a bit of a di- diversion around 2018. Um, and so we'd love to hear from you, you know, um, how you've ended up where you are today. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There is a definitely a diversion around 2018. Um, most of my career is not in, in a people function or an HR function. I will by title, it's not in a people function or HR function, but I'll explain that in a moment. Um, most, my background is really in, in the commercial side of organizations. So I was with uh, behemoths like Starbucks for nine years and then Nike for seven years with like a two-year stint in the middle with a small um, fashion startup in, in Brooklyn. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was leading, I was responsible for direct-to-consumer markets um, with Nike most recently. So leading pretty large teams, 250, 300 people, macroeconomic climate, responsible for driving that top-line revenue and controlling costs to contribute to you know, bottom-line profitability or EBIT. Um, but I kind of fell into that career. That career was by accident. Um, started out just slinging some coffee while I was... Uh, in college with Starbucks. And by the time I graduated, I was kind of down this fast track path into more mid-level management and this sort of thing. And uh, so I kind of rode that out because I was, I was having a lot of fun. I enjoyed it and I was good at it. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I, like I said, I kind of fell into that more or less by accident um, and did it for probably about 15 years. Um, but because it was by accident, I never stopped and really thought about, well, why, why do you, in a meaningful way, in a deep, prolonged period way, never stopped and thought about why do I do what I do? Why am I good at what I do? You know, why, why do you get up in the morning or in my case, like with Nike, we'll get off the plane, get on the plane or get off the plane because I traveled a lot. And it all came back to people, right? So when, you, when your title of this podcast is People Over Perks, my approach to leadership was people over everything else. So when it comes to driving revenue through the consumer experience, when it comes to driving revenue through a great product assortment, when it comes to controlling costs through operational efficiency, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things take care of themselves if you focus on the the people you're hiring, how you're organizing those people you hire, and then how you develop and strategize that talent agenda, right? And so as a leader, I spent God, two thirds of my time probably talking with the managers and the leaders that reported into me about their people and how they're thinking about their people as it relates to their business and that they have the right people doing the right things to deliver on what we need to do. Right. And so when it came time to maybe think about doing a, you know, a shift. I was working with a coach and the coach kind of nudged me. Um, The coaches aren't necessarily supposed to nudge you that hard in the direction of like an HR function. 
because of the way I approach leadership and the, and the, and the adjacency of my experience as a leader. And so, yeah, I'm about three, four years into experimenting now in the people domain dedicatedly. Um, as I said before, I didn't have people in my title in the past, but obviously I, I led very much with a people first mentality as a, as a market leader. And uh, now I'm kind of experimenting on how I can help organizations and, and other leaders do kind of similarly to what I did. Very cool. Thank, thank you for that introduction. Um, and, um, and now you find yourself at Vinted. Um, I understand you've been there for uh, um, around a year now. Yeah, a um, year in, let me check the date. The year in like two, three weeks. It's pretty soon, pretty soon. Very yeah. cool. Got cool. that anniversary coming up. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and before we dive into you know, what your, your role is at Vinted, maybe you can just give the audience an overview as to what Vinted is as a business. Sure, sure. So Vinted is a consumer to consumer or person to person platform for secondhand predominantly secondhand fashion um so i have this shirt and i'm you know i don't love it as much as i used to or i don't wear it anymore because i've got i've outgrown or whatever the reason i can with a snap of a button click of an app um put it up for sale and then you andy can be like, I really want a new polo and you're flipping through and you're like, oh, I love that. And you buy it. And then I, we, 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 we exchange it. Right. So I, I ship it to you, you send money through vented and it's all done um, through the platform. And so um, we are, we are present in the majority of Europe and also in two countries in North America. So we're present in uh, both the United States and Canada been around um, since 2008 and, um, and we are based in Lithuania is, is where our headquarters is, um, where we're about a thousand people strong there. And then we have about a 200 others scattered around um, Europe. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. While I, while I say we, what our platform is, is secondhand fashion is predominantly, I'd say that's our bread and butter, but really what we're all about is um, creating a world where sustainable consumption is the first choice, right? That, that it shouldn't, it's not, it shouldn't be as hard as it is today to make purchase decisions that are, are, are sustainable and environmentally sound, or, or at least not as environmentally detrimental as, as things are today. And so um, that, that is, that's what we're striving for. And then where we're just starting is the, the secondhand fashion market, but we're already creeping into other spaces and other lines. Yeah, super interesting, and, uh, and yeah, as you say, um, definitely uh, impactful in uh, in today's world. Um, and um, and so, yeah, we'd love to now learn a little bit more about your role. Then, um, you know, give us a, give us an overview as to um, you know the things that, that you're responsible for and that you've been working on. Um, and then the second part to that question is, uh, what what enticed you to join Vinted in in uh, in the first place? Let's do the second part first, because then that informs the story of what I do in my role. Um, I guess. So, so what enticed me to join Vented is kind of two things. One is that purpose I just talked about. Um, just with everyone I met throughout the, the interview process, uh, it, it showed up in one way or another that it's, it's really it's their, this, this organization is purpose driven, right? Like the prop, it was evident profit fuels that purpose. Um, not that this profit, the purpose is just this cute little thing on the wall um, that we tell people while we're out here to really make a lot of money, right? It's evident that we're striving to be a social enterprise and do both. And so that was really attractive from an organizational point of view. Um, 
then from a function or role point of view is really exciting because it was a chance to build something out from scratch almost. So the time, the company by the time I joined was already around 800, 900 people. Um, and there was one person working in what you would traditionally call learning and development. And I was hired to build out that function to be, you know, the, the L&D function, but even broader. We ultimately got to even create our own name. We ended up landing on people. Growth and development mm -hmm. is the name of our, our function. But that's how minuscule it was or absent it was, is that we got to, got to name ourselves because we were creating a totally new function for the organization. So that was super interesting to me because, again, as I mentioned, I, I'm in a transition. So I'm still new in this HR space. And so I'd done some stuff with consulting, which is where you go in and help people tell them how they should maybe fix or improve things. And then you disappear, did that for like a year and a half. And then I was in-house with another company, but it was already further along in its growth um, than, than Vinted was or is. And so there I was already, a lot of things were already built. And my role was about iterate and evolve, which was mm -hmm. still also very cool, taking things that worked for a thousand people and now make them work for 4,000 people. Event it was really attractive in the sense that it was there's just almost nothing right, um, or at least nothing consistent across the organization, and so that attracted me um, to 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 the the opportunity. Now back to your first part uh, of the the first question is what does my role do? Yeah, so I lead the the people growth and development team here at Vinted, uh, and so. We work in, in a few spaces. So we're one of the big things we provide for the organization is onboarding, right? So cultural mm -hmm. induction um, and, and organizational induction, and then also giving guidance uh, to functional induction. We also support leaders, leadership development. Um, and, and that's a, a work in progress as leadership is always a work in progress and there's no, no one's ever done there, right? Um, but most specifically, because we've, we've grown so much, we have a lot of transitioning leaders who might be going from not being a leader before into becoming a leader. Um, and so we, we build things out for them to help them through that transition. Um, additionally, because we're growing so much, we hire a lot of experienced leaders who have mm -hmm. very specific needs. So for them, we don't try to make a cookie cutter program of here is what it means to be a leader at Vinted and put you all through this. And you may know half of it, and may, half of it you may not, and you're bored half of the time and engage the other half of the time, but really creating an environment where they can own their own development and, and identify where they need to grow as leaders. Then the other big piece is, is performance management um, or what is traditionally called performance management um, elsewhere. We, we, we refrain from using that term super often in the organizations because it does have a, almost a negative connotation now because performance management has just been so bad for so long that it's, you say that it's just like, oh, three hour long conversations with 20 page documents of everything I did for the last year that I won't remember 95% of the second I get out of this chat and that's right. So, but so my team's also responsible for, for driving that experience as well. Understood. Thank you. And, um, and, and what is the structure of your team um, and, how, and how does that fit more, more, uh, more broadly within the, the organization? Yeah, so structure of my team is, well, it's, so it's a, I, I'm kind of leaning on like two ways to answer that for you. So one is we operate, we try to operate like a product team, right? So we see what we deliver to the organizations as products. And so we work in sprints. Um, we have product roadmaps based on what we're since making from the organization where we can help. And then how we're structured to deliver those, those things is we have people 
who kind of have domain expertise. So we've got a couple of people that work in leadership. We've got a couple of people that are working in performance management. We've got a couple of people that work on um, onboarding. And then we cross-pollinate where there is times to cross-pollinate on that product development, right? When you think performance management, but also leadership, there's lots of cross-pollinization there. So maybe one person is owning a particular product, but is working with two or three other people on the team to build that experience out and that, mm-hmm. that, or that product out or that learning out. Right. Okay. Understood. And, um, and, and what's the vision? Where, where do you want your team to get to? And you know, what is, what does success look like for you? Oh, wow. Um, well, oddly success is, is almost being experienced for me right now as a leader. So I'm going to speak selfishly as a leader and then I can speak organizationally. Um, so for me as a leader, it's building a team that, that I'm obsolete, that they just don't need me anymore. Um, to really still continue to deliver high quality products to the organization that are what the organization need when they need it, right? Um, to help fuel the organization's performance. Uh, and, and right now, because I'm in a, actually I'm actually in a stretch assignment right now, um, so no, this isn't even my day job anymore. The team is really doing that. They're really becoming a self-organized team, and so it's really great to see that. When we talk about organizationally, our team's vision, and not everyone, we haven't really publicly announced this at Vented, so it's actually kind of our quiet vision, is, is an anti-fragile Vented, is what our team aspires to help create, right? So I don't know, for your listeners, you know, there's this, all this talk about resiliency, 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 there's robustness, right? And there's this fragility and you know, and then there's this whole other idea of around anti-fragility, which is beyond resilience, because resilience is bouncing back from when you have a set a setback, right? It's just getting back to the status quo is what resiliency is. Like businesses are here, COVID hits, and they dropped here, and if they're resilient, they bounce back up to exactly where they were before. Where an anti-fragile organization is, they're here, COVID hits, but then they come back and they're here, or mm-hmm. COVID hits and they go here. I'm using COVID as an example because it was a major shock to almost every industry and every organization. And those that are anti-fragile actually grew and were stronger because of COVID um, where resilient organizations just bounce back. So my team, mm-hmm. nothing can be perfectly anti-fragile. It just doesn't exist, right? So when we say we, we aspire to create, to help facilitate a a vision of an anti-fragile vented, really, I should probably put an asterisk there and say, and as anti-fragile as possible vented, right? Um, but that's that's what our team is, is, is the future state would look like when we're talking three, four years from now is what we've helped facilitate the creation of. Yeah, really interesting. And I, I, I love this idea as, as well of, um, you know, of your team operating like a product team um, and delivering products to the organization. Um, and, um, you know, there seems to be a, uh, you know, a, a real shift that, you know, many, many more teams are operating like this. Um, and, um, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to, to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what, are, what are some of these products that you've been delivering, um, you know, within the year that you've now been with Vinted? Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the, uh, the performance piece. Um, I know you mentioned that you're trying to avoid the word phrase performance management broadly. Um, but, um, but yeah, maybe we can dive, dive into that a bit and you can tell us about, you know, some of the things that you've been, you've been working on and, uh, and those products that you've been delivering. Sure. Sure. So yeah, let's, let's start with, or, and well, yeah, let's start with performance management. Um, so that's been, a, that's been a labor of love for, for several months now. Um, so we started working on that. 
gosh, probably August of last year. Um, the company had nothing consistency, but it existed in different departments. They had their own models um, and some had some very well thought out and robust models of what was working for them. Some had absolutely nothing at all. Um, and so there was just really some inconsistency in, in how that was being approached. And so um, we've been spending quite a bit of time understanding what's happening, what's working for the organization, what's not working, and then but department by department, but then also pulling back and seeing, okay, what is needed for the organization overall to help fuel Vinted's growth, right? To help us pro progress towards that mission of, of, you know, sustainable consumption being the first choice. And we have a really cool opportunity to build a performance management model that is intended to drive the performance of the organization, right? And that's the lens we've been thinking through is through the individuals, because that's what you work with in performance management model, is through working with the, creating a, a process and experience for those individuals, how we can best ensure alignment, prioritization, and drive towards, you know, Vintage North Star. Um, and so we've, yeah, we've really tried to, say, be somewhat progressive in it, in the sense we've, we've partnered with some, some external consultants that have expertise in, um, neuropsychology and neuroscience to, to try to help us think through um, what is the most human way to engage in something like, like performance management. Like if the ultimate outcome is people kicking some ass in their role and doing an amazing job, what enables people to kick butt and do an amazing job, right? What's behind that and how can we structurally create that? And so um yeah, it's it's been taking some iteration and involvement, and still not fully dialed. Um, but yeah, so we've we've ultimately gotten to a place where we have some things that feel traditional, and and some things that are maybe a little bit more progressive, but still not super progressive because we do we are an organization that's not coming from an existing model and then transforming it. It is building from scratch, and so there is some almost scaffolding we think about that we have to put in place that maybe one day will come away. Uh, I don't know how in detail do you want me to go into kind of the elements of it and that yeah, sort of thing? We'd love you to, to talk a little bit more about some of these, um, you know, perhaps more traditional parts that you've, uh, you've kept in place and then the uh, the things that you you feel are more, uh, more novel. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, so I think let's start with, with 360. So 360s a, li a little bit more traditional, right? Mm -hmm. um, but how we're tweaking it is <clears throat> we are removing it from 360 right before you get your performance review or 360 right before you're getting a promotion. Now those incidents may, may still happen, um, but the, the intent is for 360s to be separated from those so they can be safer. Right. Mm -hmm. When 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 you're doing a 360 right before a review, a the person who's giving you the people who are giving you feedback. No, it's going right towards your review, which may determine your promotion or determine your salary, that sort of thing. So they already know that. Right. So that's already a bias that could be creeping in there that's skewing the feedback they're giving you. But B, when you get it, you're also. Like it or not, even mentally, you know, if you're your front of mind, you really want this feedback there's part of your brain that's detecting a threat response because it does impact potentially things like money and promotion, which is livelihood. And so even as much as you want to hear the feedback, you may not 
absorb it and process it and internalize it enough to where it's actually something you apply later on. And so we've, we've taken 360s and we've moved them away from that. Another piece with 360s, that, again, it's a traditional element that we're trying to break down, is that they're not done simultaneously. That's a huge, annoying organizational burden. And most places are like 360s all at once, which means everybody is writing self-reviews and feedback for other people, which either means you're getting crappy feedback or you are... Work is suffering so people can write good feedback or people are suffering so they can maintain the work and write good feedback. And it's just a huge organizational burden. And so we're removing that piece and setting it to where the person has the ownership of when they trigger a 360 in alignment with their leader. Because people also evolve and grow at different rates, depending on what they're working on and what stage they are in their development. And so people don't also need 360s all at the same time, every six months cadence, time for a new 360. If I'm going through a lot of transition, maybe I need 360 like three months after I just got the last one, right? To see how some things have changed. Or maybe, especially if I'm people who are further in their careers, the things they're developing and working on take longer to adopt and change. So maybe at six months, they don't need a new 360 because they're going to get the same thing they got as feedback six months ago, but maybe at nine months, they're ready, right? So really putting... <clears throat> ownership in the people's hands of when is it time, when is the time right for them and their development to solicit 360 feedback from people to see the ways they can potentially continue to grow and the things that they should continue to do really well that they're doing already. Um, another aspect that is maybe somewhat traditional, but also novel is the idea of anytime feedback. You know, we, like a lot of organizations, really have embraced radical candor by Kim Scott and that whole idea. But even Kim says, you've got to get it before you give it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of organizations just go out and are like, radical candor, let's just dole it out, right? Again, you're creating this threat response. If I'm not expecting you to come over here and tell me that I smell bad, it's going to throw me off that you're coming here telling me that I smell bad. Even if you have the best intentions, right? It's still going to put me and potentially a little bit of a a defensive state or a threat state and might hinder me from really absorbing or appreciating the thing you're telling me. And it took you a lot of courage to tell me that I smell bad. So don't want to waste that, right? And so so while we do want unsolicited feedback at at Vinted, um, a big piece that, and we we do have a lot of unsolicited feedback at Vinted because it's it's healthy, um, is we really want to build a continuous feedback culture that's actually predicated on asking for feedback. Mm -hmm. Because when a person asks for it, they're already far more open and ready to receive maybe the, the critical or constructive things. Well, constructive can be positive or, or, or negative. The critical or, or opportunistic feedback you might have for me versus if it's just coming out of nowhere and, and, and thrown at us, right? So we're really trying to build an experience that, that people are, are asking for feedback and the expectation is that you're 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 seeking feedback not waiting for feedback to come to you and using any time feedback to to seek the how your peers are feeling and thinking about you mm-hmm. interesting and how how are you um how are you trying to um to encourage people to seek that feedback well so so it's education right because it is it's a change of mindset so first and foremost is is educating people so as we, you often, you get requests for feedback training, feedback training, feedback training, which yes, you need to be trained how to give good feedback, but because the emphasis is always on the give, 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 um, not the getting, 
um, that there, there we are as we roll out performance management to the various departments and in, in this fun, in this this aspect of it, this continuous feedback element of it, we are educating on why it's it's ben- beneficial to actually ask for the feedback versus waiting for it to come to you, right? Um, and then we're also creating learning experiences that merge both. What are good ways to ask for feedback? Because much like giving feedback, there's good and bad ways to give feedback. There's also good and bad ways to ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. And so really giving guidance on to people on here's a good way to here are good practices when it comes to soliciting feedback. So you get the most meaningful thing from, from people, right? Because yeah. it's yeah. also hard for the person to give feedback too. It's it's almost just as in behavioral science has shown, it's almost as threatening, sometimes even more threatening for the person that's delivering that really difficult feedback as it is for the person to hear it. Right. So you got to come, you got an experience where both people are like on threat alert and uncomfortable. Um, And so again, how you ask for feedback can also help take down the guard for the person who's giving the feedback too. So you really get some good stuff from that person too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And um, and also you um you uh you mentioned the emphasis on making sure that there's alignment across the, the whole organization as well. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so one aspect that's uh, we're, we're going to start out with, or we're starting out with, um, is, is kind of quarterly alignment for individuals on what are their short priority, what their priorities should be, right? So we're calling these, the, these thing impact goals. <clears throat> um, and the name of our whole performance management model is, um, the people growth and impact cycle, right? And growth okay. and impact are intentionally separate, even though super connected, of course, um, but in this experience, they are they are they are separated from a process point of view. Um, so so quarterly alignment, meaning at least I don't invented and and any other tech place I've worked um, scale up. Everybody at any moment has seventy to one hundred and thirty things they can be working on, right? And so it's it's creating a forum and experience for team members and their leaders to align at least at a minimum of a quarterly cadence. It can be more often, especially in teams that are working in agile methods, but a minimum of a quarterly cadence, people are sitting down together and talking about here are the two or three, four big things I'm getting after or my high priorities for this quarter that I want to really try to get after from a delivery or a results or an outcome point of view, right? Mm -hmm. It does not necessarily mean it's everything you're doing for this quarter, but it's a chance for that person, their leader to align and ensure that they both are on the same page around what is most important for this person. And then what, 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 can, be, what can be inputs for those impact goals could be obviously team OKRs, right? So we align team level and by function and department level and ultimately business unit and, and then company mm-hmm. is through OKRs, right? So aggregations through OKRs, but when it comes to the individual that stops, but we can look because OKRs are team goals, but there can be instances I'm like, well, what's your role in helping drive this objective, right? Or what do you, what do you, what, what is your contribution? So that could be one endpoint, input rather. Uh, also as business as usual, right? As we start to get bigger and bigger, we have a lot of roles that are moving into, maybe they don't work so much on OKRs, but they have a lot of really important business as usual activities. So mm-hmm. what are those targets, goals, things you're going to accomplish, deliver, or just whatever else is the priority, you know, side projects, team related projects, whatever the case is, right? But just ensuring that that leader and that person have that alignment, right? And that they're talking about it. So we know what we're doing together versus everyone kind of going willy nilly. 
Yeah. And, and so that, that is very much done through the individual and their direct manager then? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I assume that uh, that also then requires some, um, some coaching of the managers in order to, uh, to help them you know, navigate these conversations. It does. It does. Well, not just the, 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 and the managers, both, both sides, right? Because it comes to what does good goal setting look like? So if we want people to own this, it's not the manager saying, here's your top three things. It's the person coming to the leader and saying, based on my role and what I see the team is working on, here are the two, three, four things I really want to say is the stake in the ground. This is what I'm getting after. These are my priorities this quarter. And it's really for the manager to then coach that individual on, yeah, high five, you, you, you're you thinking the same thing I'm thinking, or, ooh, two of those are really way off and having that conversation, right? And so it, it actually takes guidance and education for both on mm-hmm. how to set really good goals, how to prioritize, um, but then on the leader standpoint, also a little bit of, of coaching education as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And um and and so um on the on the topic of education, um, what is Vinted's approach to learning? Yeah, so Vinted's approach to learning is is I'm sound, and I'm starting to sound like a little bit of a broken record. It's not too far off from from performance management in the sense that it's putting it back in the ownership of the person's hands, right? So how does that look in practice? Is we have a really generous individual learning budget. I mean market leader. I actually have never heard of a company that that gives people as much uh, as, as, as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is for that individual to use however they need to, to facilitate their, their, their own development, their own professional and personal development. And, and so with that in mind, that takes a lot of burden off of a, you know, an LND, a traditional LND function to have a whole bunch of courses for individuals and a whole bunch of maybe a LinkedIn learning or a Udemy and all this stuff and, and provide all of these things because we can put that in the hands of the people. And really where my function sits and this links back to performance management is helping people identify what do they need to work on? Cause then you've got this really awesome, generous learning budget you can spend. Right? So when I was saying what my team does earlier, you didn't hear a lot of programs. You didn't hear a lot of courses or anything that we're, we're creating. And it's intentional because at least at the individual, for individuals, because at the individual level, we want people to have that ownership and they have that generous budget to use. We just need mm-hmm. to make sure we give them, help them have experiences and reflective moments with their leaders to understand where they can invest that time and energy and, and budget into. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Interesting, and um, so think, thinking about the way that you've uh, you know you've set about um, you know building your team and you know approaching delivering products to the organization, what kind of metrics are you are you tracking, and you know how are you how are you measuring the overall success of the uh, of the the various products that you're you're implementing? Yeah, so this this is this is a fun one, um, and I'm I'm smiling because my if my team were in front of me right now, they would be having a huge laugh because they they know this is a hot spot for me. Um, and so when they listen to this, they know they will be chuckling. So so right now, you know, we're a new team and we're just now building out and delivering products. So we are what we aligned is basically five fundamental kind of questions or inquiries on every product that can be agnostic to whatever type of product we are, we are delivering to seek feedback on one of them, you know, being the MPS, right? So the promotion mm-hmm. of whatever it is, be it a little baby e-learning that's, you know, five minutes, or if it is 
you know, the first time leaders program launched into leadership, which lasts three months, right? You can still ask how people um, would recommend it to others. But we, we've, we identified as a team, basically five common questions that we ask of everything that we are delivering. So therefore we can then start to take those and aggregate them up to give us a holistic dashboard of, of the products we are delivering. We have not gotten to the point where we have enough data to aggregate up into a dashboard yet. Um, but that's that's our approach to evaluation is to have these commonalities so we can have this holistic pulse check of the, the, the team and aggregation. Then at the same time for each individual product beyond those five things, depending on the sophistication and the complexity of the, the, the product and the experience, then we would do, do further analysis for impact evaluation, right? So maybe we don't do a three-month follow-up following a you know 20-minute e-learning, but we might do a three-month follow-up following a three-month first-time leaders program to really understand the behavioral impact that has had and the 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 outcomes from it, right? Or same with mm-hmm. we, we offer a, a team-based feedback training. And so in that team-based feedback training, we may look at how did the team, in addition to those five standard questions, how was the team scoring in our internal um, questionnaire relating to feedback culture, and mm-hmm. then has that has that metric or that needle moved for that team a couple of months after they went through the experience, right? So it's really product by product specific to what it is that that is trying to accomplish, how we measure it, but we do have that con- consistency of those 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 five reactionary um, engagement type of questions, mm-hmm. um, usefulness type of questions to be able to give ourselves at least that aggregation point across all things we do. I'll stop there. Understood. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And um, and is, is your team also then responsible for, um, you know, the uh, measuring the wider employee experience? And, uh, you know, do you run company-wide employee engagement surveys or any other uh, methods like this for gathering feedback from the wider organization? We do. We do. So it's bi-weekly. Uh, we do run bi-weekly engagement surveys. That's where that feedback question I just mentioned can pop up. And when it's its turn in it, not every two weeks is it the same questions being asked at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do that. That does not sit in my team specifically. That sits more with the people business partner teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. they're responsible for the, the, the engagement survey and the data that comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And but actually, can I add to that though? Yeah, because I, I don't want to mislead your listeners. While the people, business partners are responsible for it, it's really the leaders who are responsible for using it, right? So the people, business partners are the ones who, where it sits centrally, and they're the ones who are responsible for ensuring leaders know how to use the tool mm-hmm. with their teams. But it's really the leader's responsibility to work with their team directly on what the the, the engagement survey or the engagement data is feeding back out. So I just want to make that clear that it's not the PVP's responsibility. Their, their, their role in this is much like my team's. It's enablement, but it really sits with the leaders and the teams. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks for that clarification. And so you're, you're, you're one year in. Um, what, does, uh, what does the next year uh, have in store for you? What are the, um, you know, all of the, all of the priorities that you, uh, you still feel like you need to get to? Oh, God. Um, there's so many, but luckily we do have a roadmap so I can speak to a couple, right? So obviously we're, we're finishing up the, the launching of, of performance management, but then that doesn't stop, right? Cause now it's then about feedback gathering and data gathering and, and iterating and evolving, right? So when we look forward to the back half of this year, and then the first half of next year is really continuing to iterate and evolve on the people growth and impact cycle. 
um, following very closely behind that and, uh, and, and very, very tightly related is need to then look at other potential experiences or mechanisms for, for talent management, um, meaning like talent planning, succession planning. Uh, we're big enough now that we, we should be thinking about those things and we, and we don't really have them in a, in a meaningful way yet. So that's, that's on the, the pipeline following or while we're continuing to iterate and evolve performance management as in, when it comes to then leadership, um, we, we recently aligned about a month ago on the vented leadership way, which is basically a collection of, of, of four attributes um, or four principles uh, of what makes a, a successful leader at vented. And then there's within those four, there's a multi, there's about 16 different kind of attributes or behaviors mm-hmm. that demonstrate those attributes. And so we're, we're now building out um, a leadership way library, which will be a, a curated um, resource of, of e-learnings if we make them or of just curated free content and resources that exist, um, but then also validated ways to potentially use your learning budget. So if you find you're like, I'm a leader and I need to be more reflective, I go to that part of the Leadership Way library and I'm like, here's a multitude of ways I could potentially do that, including even some ways to spend my learning budget, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that'll be a huge priority because again, leadership is never done. And so I'll be constantly building that out. And then lastly is, well, I said earlier for when it comes to learning, we put a lot of you know emphasis on individuals owning their own learning. We do want to be more intentional about building out team-based learning products. So I already alluded, we have one around feedback, right? So that's where magic really happens. That's where the rubber hits the road. When an individual goes to say a feedback training on their own, yeah, they have to A, work on themselves to adopt behavioral change, but then they go back to a, a room that's filled with seven or eight other people modeling the status quo. That's really mm-hmm. hard versus if all of them went through the same thing together, they can hold each other accountable to adoption and they all have a common language. And so we do want to put more emphasis further down the road and building out team-based products mm-hmm. um, because it is it is shown that adoption and team effectiveness moves much faster when people learn together versus when they learn individually and then try to come back together. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, w- w- one thing that I'm curious about um, through all of these uh, the, these products that you've been been implementing, are there any uh, any beliefs that you previously held about the way that things should be done that you've uh, you've kind of done a, a one eighty degree degree on and completely changed your points of view on? Oh, um, there's one <laughs> that's coming up for me, and and it's it's probably controversial still because we haven't flushed it out with invented our our approach to this is is pay for performance Mm -hmm. i come from worlds that are super pay for performance i mean nike i mean they're one of their their mottos when you work there is there is no finish line you know and then nike makes their living on driving people's performance that's what their products exist for right so Mm -hmm. nike is a definitely a very awesome place to work i don't mean this in a negative way but it is very much a pay for performance place to work but as I've now made this transition in my career and, I, and I've dug more into behavioral science and understanding more of, of neuropsychology and neuroscience and motivation and, and really explored this space, um, I'd say as recently and worked in performance management, I'd say as recently as probably the last four to eight months, I've really started to change my thinking around paper performance, right? And so I'm still not <clears throat> fully, my mind isn't fully changed yet. 
Mm -hmm. but I am being turned upside down because I, I very much, pardon me. I very much, um, was very much of that mindset. Mm -hmm. Like, and now I'm, 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 I'm starting to think differently about that and, and how money is used to motivate people or, and, and, and how should it be used? And is it really the best motivator of performance? Or are there other mechanisms for, yeah. perform, for motivating performance and, and money should be used in a different type of way? And when mm-hmm. you think about like compensation and pay for performance. Yeah. yeah. In- interesting. Yep. It sounds like that is no happen. commentary on Vinted. Let me make that clear. Um, yeah. That is just me and kind of what I'm starting to struggle with on my own. Vinted, we have not, uh, we actually haven't had this conversation yet mm-hmm. um, where we're perfectly going to, to land in this, this, this way of thinking. Yeah. 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 Really interesting. And then, um, and then more, more broadly, are there any other um, like particular trends in the, the people growth and development world or anything that, um, you know, you're, you're seeing on the horizon that you're particularly excited about? Um, I mean, I think what I'm, I'm super excited about and it's thanks to COVID is, 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 is work I think is becoming more human and becoming more flexible. Um, so I think a lot of how work was set up was for a different type of work in a different era. Same with management. Management was set up for a different type of work in a different era as well. And I think COVID forced a lot of organizations to rethink not just when and where people work. That's one nice aspect too, but it's, it's brought just this, this, this humanity to work. That was was previously what I have a kid. I, I mean, I'm not going to let you know about the kid because I don't want to be perceived as having a, I'm a, a slacker because I got to cut out two hours early to go help out my kid, pick them up from school or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so it's allowed us to be more human. It's opened the windows into our us as humans, not just colleagues and workers. And, and I think that humanity piece will start is starting to spread into other places of work. Kind of a lot of, a lot of what I was just talking about with asking for feedback versus giving it, right? That's that's mm-hmm. taking a more human approach there or separating 360 feedback from a salary increase because just how our brains work, we're not going to receive that feedback as well. So I think we're, st- gonna, we're starting to see companies and organizations look more at what is best for a human being to thrive and kick some ass from a human perspective. Um, and I, and I think that's going to, that's, that's just now the spark has really just ignited. And I think that's something that is going to really start to burn more brightly over the next three to five years in, 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 in organizations. Yeah, certainly a, a positive change that, uh, that as you say is, um, yeah, it's all been, um, ignited by, by COVID, hasn't it? Which, uh, is one of the, um, one of the positives that has uh, come, come from the whole experience. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's so awful how many millions have died from COVID, but if COVID actually is, a, has the impact, I think it can on creating a place where work is more human, the actual mental well-being and then thus physical well-being and, and livelihoods of even more people, um, will be for generationally will be could be impacted in a really really positive way. And so while this is a mm-hmm. tragic, terrible, freaking thing that happened over the last two years, out of it could really rise an amazing, beautiful phoenix of well-being and and for th- uh, flourishing and thriving for for humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Humans in general on all parts of the globe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I have one more question to round out, um, and uh, and that is that uh, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile you uh, you describe yourself as a as a servant leader, um, and I, I was wondering if you could elaborate on on what that means to you and how it impacts the way that you approach your approach your work. Yeah. Um... Let's see. So, so what is how does what does that mean for me? I mean, without you know the rules, you're not supposed to define something with the word itself. So you know, saying I lead to serve, or I lead my role as a leader is to serve others is kind of cheating, right? So I think probably the easiest way to answer this is to go back to how I was describing like how I approach leadership, like a Nike in, the, in my commercial world, right? I had colleagues that focused on customer experience. I had colleagues that focused on. Um, operational excellence or, or product or this sort of thing where they, they put their stake in the ground. For me, it was people and putting them first and what they need to be able to accomplish the things we need them to do, right? And so you can have the most awesome product, but if you don't have people that are enabled and know how to sell it and market it, what's the point of that awesome product? You may have this gloriously efficient operational process, but if there aren't people who are eager to execute it and understand how to execute it, what's the point of having that operational process, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, servant leadership is putting the needs of your people first, not before the organization, but putting them first before your own, of course, um, to a certain degree, because you also need to take care of your own well-being. That doesn't mean do their job for them, right? But putting their needs first and, and ensuring they just have what they need to be able to do what we're asking them to do, to have fun doing what we're asking them to do, and to get better at doing what we're asking them to do, right? And, and then that way, all these other things of any type of organization, business or otherwise, can take care of themselves if you have leaders that are really nurturing um, their people. And so that's when I think of servant leadership, that's that's kind of how I personally define it now. There are obviously are more academic definitions, but that is, that's what it means to me. Yeah, excellent. Well, Michael, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation um, and uh, we've loved having you on the show and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Andy. And this was, yeah, this was fun. This was cool. I'm, it's weird to talk about myself and my team this much. So in some ways, this was a nice kind of little refreshing break to, to reflect and be forced to articulate the, the stuff about us. So thank you for asking. Great. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of People Over Perks by Leapsum. We're available on the Leapsum YouTube channel and all major podcasting platforms so you can hit subscribe to receive each episode as it's released. We also have an email newsletter and a Slack community where you'll find great resources and discussions on how to build a high-performing, humane and diverse company culture. You can find the link in the show notes or you can head to the resources section at leapsum.com. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.